So there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout, and he was waiting. He was waiting. Uh, Christmas, Advent, as we celebrate it, is, is a season of waiting, anticipating, hoping. I love even just you know, with the guys in, in their Bibles today, uh, just, the, just the joy of children during the season and, and my own children and children of the church. We're going to gather and do our uh, Christmas program with the music and the, the pageant and we do that today. It's just a great, uh, just to see the anticipation and, and the joy. But for all of us, this season, Christmas and New Year's, it, do, it is a dividing line of, of years and of life. And there's things that we hope for in the year. And there's things that we hoped for this past year. And some of those things came to be and some didn't. Uh, so my question for you is, what are you waiting for? What are you anticipating? What is your hope? What are you looking forward to? And the reason why this is a good question for us this morning is that two things happen when we have longing and we have hope in our lives. And we, we typically will hope for good things. Maybe it's, a, um, maybe it's a, a restoration of family or a reunion. Maybe it's a healing. Maybe it's we're waiting for a breakthrough or a next step in a career or life or waiting for a child or relationship or whatever it is. They're typically good things, but two things tend to happen. One is we find and we get what we were hoping for, but it somehow doesn't deliver as, as fully as, as we had hoped or it didn't, it didn't satisfy as deeply as we might have wanted. The other thing that can happen is we don't get what we hoped for. And it can lead to great sadness and sense of loss or frustration, even depression. Having, not, having time passed and that, that hope and anticipation didn't come through. So it's important for us to understand what is it that we're hoping for and is it, are we hoping for the right things? Are we longing and searching for the right things? And here we have Simeon. He was righteous, he was devout, and he was waiting. We want to look at his hope. We want to look at his, what he was waiting for. And we're continuing in our sermon series calling uh, Heaven and Nature Sing, as we sang this morning. Heaven and Nature Sing. It's, these are the songs of Christmas, the first songs of Christmas. And they're not songs necessarily in the uh, traditional sense that they were set to music or melody, although most of them have. But these are uh, outbursts of praise, poetic expressions of of understanding what God is doing or what God has done. And, and so they're, they're just expressed as if they were songs. So we're, we're looking, we looked at the angel song a couple weeks ago. Last week with Javi, we looked at uh, Zechariah's song and uh, around the time of the birth of John the Baptist. Today we're looking at Simeon's song. And it's in, throughout church history, it's come down to us. It actually has been set to music, very beautiful music. And it's often known by its Latin name, Nunc Dimittis, which means now dismiss, which is the first words of his, his song. Now dismiss your servant in peace. And the Nunc Dimittis, if you've been part of a Catholic tradition or an Anglican tradition or other liturgical traditions that use some of these canticle songs, 
that it's often sung in the evening time. So an even song or a comp line service, you would, you could, you would sing or pray these words together, um, either personally or with, with a group of people. So this song has been part of the tradition of the Christian church for, for, for a long time. And you can search online and find renditions of it. Very beautiful, uh, musically, very beautiful. Uh, next week we're gonna we're gonna uh, focus on Mary's song. So Pastor Jack will be here next week, and he'll be uh, he'll be teaching on that. Uh, but we want to. I want to do a few things to analyze this song. First, I want to look at the Simeon the man before we jump into what he said. Who was he? What do we know about him? We don't know a lot, but what we do know about him is very significant. So Simeon the man, secondly, I want to look at Simeon the song, and then thirdly, I want to consider how should we react to this? How, might, how does this impact us at all you know, as we go about our day today and tomorrow? Does this mean anything for us? So that's, our, that's what we're going to try to do this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we gather with joy and with celebration, and it's all because of your goodness and because what you have done and Lord what you are doing and we believe that fully so in this time we believe fully that you are here and that you are speaking and that you are active as we look at your word Lord give us insight that open our hearts to understand you in your way we pray these things in Jesus name amen Okay, so the first thing I want to look at is Simeon the man. And I want to make three observations about Simeon the man. First, is that he's full of the Holy Spirit. Verse 25, the Holy Spirit is on him. Now, before Jesus, as we read through the Old Testament and really early in the Gospels, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, his very presence alive, and, and active in the world was given and taken at different times so that the Holy Spirit was not a permanent presence. So we, we read about the Holy Spirit being given and the Holy Spirit being taken away. That's why David, after he, uh, King David, famous king of Israel, after he had sinned, he said, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. His desire was to maintain this spirit or to have the spirit with him because he did not want to be without that living presence of God with him. But what, what happens is Jesus promises his followers, he said, look, we're ushering in a new kingdom, and in this kingdom, all can have the Spirit. And you're sealed with this Spirit. The Spirit is not given and taken for specific time or specific purpose, but it's, it's given freely and received, and it's a permanent seal in the life of the believer. So everybody who puts their faith in Jesus has his Spirit alive and active and here we have Simeon has received this spirit. It's on him. In verse 26, the Holy Spirit gives him insight. Verse 26 says, It had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's Christ, the Lord's anointed one, the Savior who was to come. So this insights that the Spirit's giving. And then in verse 27, he's moved by the Spirit. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. This is the Holy Spirit. I hope you notice this as we look at Simeon. The Spirit is very active. The second thing, in verse 25, it says that Simeon was righteous and devout. So he was righteous. This is somebody of good moral character. This is somebody who 
takes seriously a life of holiness and a life of uh, godly behavior. So he's righteous and he's devout. He's devoted and committed to the things of God. And we know this because as he starts to speak, the things that he speaks, this looks very spontaneous. You know, Simeon meets the Christ child and he just starts, you know, blurting out these words of praise. But really, these words echo scripture. They really echo a lot of the prophet Isaiah. And, and I'll, I'll point that out to you when we look through it. But he, he was, his life was full of God's word, full of scripture, so that when he speaks, he's just repeating the things of God. He was devoted. So he's full of the spirit, he's righteous and devout, and thirdly, he's waiting on God's promises. Verse 25, specifically, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, He's waiting for the consolation or comfort of Israel, which had been promised. Comfort, and he's waiting. If you were to go to the Old Testament and look for comfort, comfort, and waiting on the Lord, you would go to Isaiah 40. And remember, for those of you who are here, I get really excited about this, because for those of you who are here in August, we just studied Isaiah 40 together. We were preaching that. Remember the week we were talking about uh, chickens flying and eagles soaring? If you weren't here, that makes no sense to you. But if you were here, that Isaiah 40 starts off, Comfort, comfort my people that, the, the, that God was promising this consolation and the comfort to his people. And who was it for? It was for those who wait on the Lord. Those who, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They, they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. They were sore on wings like eagles. This is, the, this, is, this is Simeon's hope, is this comfort that God promised and, and waiting on the Lord. So comfort, comfort. This is all Isaiah 40. But this um, Isaiah 49 says, Shout for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains. For the Lord comforts, same word, his people. And will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Isn't this not, though, the hope of the world? And when I ask a question, you know, what do you hope for? What are you longing for? Is it in not some way comfort and peace? And when we look at the turmoil in our world, and we look at political turmoil, even in our nation, isn't this at the heart of it, is that people want justice, and they want peace, and they want some kind of uh, stability, or something's not right, or something's broken. Or it, there's something missing. And we want peace and comfort. This is, a, this is a human longing, and God has promised to bring this to his people. But how we find that comfort, people will answer that very differently. Isaiah chapter 12. Again, words of the prophet Isaiah. We know that these are in Simeon's heart. Isaiah 12, 1 says this. I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. You have consoled me. Again, the same language. But here, true consolation, true comfort from the Lord is directly tied to his salvation, him saving us from our sin, that we know we can just look around and just look at the, the anger and violence and war and just the hurting and sickness of the world. And it, it, the world is broken. And we understand that the world is broken because of sin. So our greatest need isn't happiness. Our greatest need isn't to be just comfortable and happy. Our greatest need is salvation. We need to be saved from this. 
in the promise from Isaiah is that the Lord's anger will be turned and that, that true and full consolation of God's salvation will be known. And it's only found in Jesus. No matter how good other things are and other ways of trying to find peace in our world and reconciliation between people, it's in Jesus Christ where we actually see these things. We can see it lived out where it's truly known. And that's what, I, that's what Simeon was waiting for, this consolation, this comfort of Israel, God's people. So he's full of the Spirit, he's righteous and devout, and he's waiting on God's promises. That's Simeon, those three things. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good biography. If that was all that was known about you or, or known about me when we died, that's pretty good. Years from now, people said, who? we don't know who this John Paul guy was. If you were to say he was full of the Holy Spirit, he was righteous and devout, and he was waiting and hoping in God's salvation alone. I'd take that any day of the week. How can we be like this? How can we have these same three things in our hearts? First is being full of the Spirit. And remembering that the Spirit is a gift. It's not something that you earn, and it is not something that you can conjure up. Jesus said this. He said, even though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God is a good Father. If we ask Him for His Spirit, He gives it freely. We just ask. And I want to give an opportunity at the end of this message to just pray. If you just want to pray, Lord, I, I pray that I would have your Spirit. As Simeon had your Spirit. That, uh, as others have your Spirit. That I might be full of your Spirit. And and we can be righteous and devout. And I intentionally put it in that order. Because sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we think that if we are righteous enough, you know, if we're good enough, and if we're devout enough, if I spend enough time in God's Word and I do my devotional time and my alone time with the Lord, and these are very good things, if I do that, then I'll get a different dose of the Spirit. You know, I'll, I'll do all the right things, and then God's Spirit will somehow come alive in me, and that's not how it works. That's a, that's a transaction. Transaction is, I do my part and God gives me his part. We've done a one for one. That's not a gift. And Jesus said the Spirit is a gift. It's actually the Spirit that comes in and helps us and changes us to be more righteous, to do what is right, to, to be devoted to the things of God. So as we are filled with the Spirit, we grow in our devotion and our righteousness, and then we can wait on the right things. Then our hearts are changed and our hope can be put in things that are true and real. So I ask again, what are you waiting for? What is your hope? What is your longing? Simeon was waiting for the ultimate consolation, the ultimate God, the ultimate comfort that God promises people. And he goes to the temple, and there's Jesus, the Christ child. And he holds Jesus in his arms, and he knows that he has seen the salvation of God. And here's what he says. This is his song. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. He says, according to your promises, God, you can just dismiss me now. I can die, and I can die in peace. No one, no one wants to die. Mentally healthy people don't desire death. And human beings go a very long way to cling to life. Even those who are very ill and, and very 
sick and are very old. There's a desire to live, and that's, that's good, because we, in life we can experience God and we can experience what he has for us on this side of eternity. As someone like the Apostle Paul said, you know, to live is Christ. To die is to gain. It's actually more Christ. But we cling to, to life. And here we have Simeon who just says, I don't even need to live anymore because I am so satisfied with this salvation that I've seen. And I don't need to cling to other things. That this longing for comfort, this longing for salvation is found by letting go of all other things and seeing the Lord's salvation. Now, one thing I noticed in this is it sound, actually sounds a lot like Buddhism, if you're familiar with Buddhism. And I'm not a Buddhist scholar by any means, so I don't want to misrepresent. I know some of you are from, have Buddhist family members or from Buddhist background. But it, it, at the heart, as I understand it, at the heart of Buddhism is that there's suffering in the world, a desire for consolation and comfort, and that something's wrong. And that the way out of that suffering is to let go of things. Because your suffering comes from desires that are out of line. So if you are, um, if you are ill, your desire is to be healthy. And if you just got rid of your desire, then you wouldn't feel ill. That wouldn't be a negative thing. Or if you're attached to life and possessions, if you can just detach from all those things, you can reach a state of of nirvana, they would call it. You reach a state of nirvana where you're, you're just enlightened and you, you don't have these attachments the same way. It's this letting go of everything else. The biggest difference, though, between the Christian worldview and this Buddhist worldview is that we agree that if we're clinging to all these other things and we can, there's this longing that we want fulfilled that we need to let go. In Buddhism, you have to cling to a, you have to earn it. You have to follow this eightfold path towards you know, towards this letting go, and you have to achieve it yourself. And what, in the Christian idea, is that it's been achieved for you, that Jesus came to give it to you freely, that you don't have to follow this great path to find it, that Jesus took the path to us to give it to us, to accomplish it on the cross for us, so that all you have to do is acknowledge it and accept it. And here we have Simeon just able to release all his other desires, even his desire to live, because he has seen God's salvation in Jesus. It's a gift. It's grace. We never earn it. And he continues on, verse 30 and 31. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. So this is for the whole world. Verse 32. It's a light for revelation to the Gentiles or the nations. And this echoes the, the language of Isaiah. Again, you just, Isaiah, the prophet language through Simeon, it's Isaiah 42, 6 says, I have given you as a light to the nations. In Isaiah 49, 6, I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. This is the ultimate light coming into the world that will be a light for all nations everywhere. But it's also for the glory of your people Israel. This is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. Isaiah 46, 13. I will put my salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. Again, see, hear the same language, my glory, Israel. So it's both an old thing, this promise, promise is being fulfilled through Israel, and it's a new thing for the whole world to see clearly God's salvation. And this is, so it is for us, but it's for the whole world. So anybody who experiences God's salvation, the next step is to give this message to the world. 
that the light has come, that salvation, that true comfort can be found. And we don't have to, we don't have to, we, we can stop fighting over it. We can stop trying to, to cling to all these other things and just see it in Jesus. And that's why we always talk, when we, when we understand what God has done, we always talk about the mission that we have moving forward. That it's not just for me, but it's for me to now extend into the world around me. And this is at the heart of Simeon's song. I've seen the salvation. I can die now in peace. And it's for the world. It's for God's people. It's for everyone. So how do we respond? How do we react to this? Uh, Simeon says some other stuff to Mary and Joseph here. Simeon knows what Jesus has come to do. He, he, Simeon knows that the Messiah, the anointed one, isn't just here to overthrow Rome and to make Israel powerful. Again, you can hear that in his language, that it's, it's for all the nations. But he specifically says that this child is going to cause the rising and falling of Israel, of God's people. It really is exactly what happened. You had those who were of status, those who were the uh, religious elite, the religious leaders. When they heard this message of Jesus' grace, when Jesus came and said, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God is here in himself, and he was explaining it, they rejected it. And those who had the power and the status were really brought low. They were really left on the outside. And who was it? It was those of no status. It was the sinners, and it was tax collectors, and fishermen, and prostitutes who, who followed, who became leaders in the early church. That it created this rising and falling of God's people. And there's no, and it's, he says that, it's, it, that it will be spoken against, and it will reveal people's hearts, that people's hearts are revealed with Jesus. There is no neutral ground. It's either, am I, do I accept this salvation that has come, or do I reject it? And all hearts are made known in this. So as we think about a reaction, how do we respond? In light of this, there's no neutral ground. We're either for or against him. And, and let me put it like this. At any point in the day tomorrow, you might feel frustration. Or you might need consolation. You need that comfort. And in that moment, your gut, what is your gut response going to be? Is your gut response going to be to fight and to clutch and to try to grasp onto something? Or can you be so satisfied in knowing God's salvation through Jesus that you can let go of everything else? I want to share with you some, uh, some images. So this is, again, thinking about how do we react or respond to God's goodness um, if you could pull the shades to pull the shades, they just kind of magically go down. Um, uh, so Rembrandt, again, when you're thinking about a song and when you're thinking about an outburst of praise, you can analyze the words and we can analyze the ideas, but it's, you more have to enter into it or sing it yourself. And uh, one, one way that's been done through history is, is through art. So Rembrandt had a number of paintings, three very famous paintings I want to show to you today and some other sketches of this account of of uh, Jesus being presented at the temple with Simeon and, and what he says to Mary and Joseph. And, they're, and they're, they're actually quite different from one another, and there's some insight into this. So you think about somebody who's going to paint an image. And Rembrandt, as he was known, was good with faces, but he was more famous for capturing a moment in his art. And so he's, this is one of his earliest known paintings. Now, you're going to have to do some searching online today to get a better... This is not a great um, 
I was praying for a cloudy day, so it would be extra dark. But, but I, we, can, we can make some observations. So this is, he was probably 22 years old when he painted this, one of his first known paintings. So Rembrandt paints, you see Simeon with the beard, and he's holding the Christ child in his, in his left hand, and he's speaking to Mary. Now Joseph has his back to us, and then there's a woman in the background like this, and that's Anna the prophetess, and she was also, if you read in the Gospel of Luke, she was also there, and she spoke to the truth that Jesus had come, the Messiah had come. And she's you know, affirming, yes, this is the Messiah. And the light's coming in behind. You see light coming through a window behind them. But Jesus also you know, radiant. And, but really, the moment here is Simeon speaking to Mary. You can see the intensity. He's really at the center of the painting. And, and Mary is just amazed and sort of troubled by all these amazing things that are being said about the child. So this was very early painting. So let's go to the next one. This is about three years later, so about a 25-year-old Rembrandt, and he paints this. Now you'll notice there's a much bigger scene here. The focus isn't just on the specific word or message, but it's about a moment where here we have Simeon uh, holding the Christ child. Now the Christ child is at the center, and you can see Mary lit up, and just to the left of Mary is Joseph, very dark, and he's holding the two pigeons, the offering that he was to bring. There's the high priest, and they're before the steps, and there's all these people watching. It's this big moment. And you'll notice here, though, that the light is coming from Jesus, such that these guys on the right, lower right here, have light on them, but those who are sitting behind are very much in the darkness. That, that Jesus is the source of light in this painting. And there's a, sort of a development there that there's this big, grand scene and the, the beautiful light shining from the center. And it, did we zoom in on this one a little? You can see a little better here. So now we're going to fast forward 38 years, almost 40 years later. Now we have a very old Rembrandt. And this is thought to be one of his last ever paintings that he did. It was actually found the day after he died. So Rembrandt died, they went to his workshop, they found this was what he was working on, so it's unfinished. We have Simeon now, very different. This, the difference between this one and the one before, it couldn't be more striking. Because now we have Simeon, who's, he's, it's, the, it's the moment here is his, the look on his face. Having seen the salvation, he's holding the Christ child, having seen the salvation, it just, this, almost a detached, like a truly satisfied, truly happy, now I can die. Now you can dismiss your servant in peace. Now the image behind the woman is either the prophetess Anna or it's Mary, and we don't know, and Rembrandt didn't paint that. Somebody else put that in later, one of his students or whoever tried to finish it for him, but you can ignore that image. But here's this look of satisfaction. But I want to show you, I want to show you, go back to the first one. Yes. So here's Simeon. He's holding the child. You see his hand on the Christ child? Next one, on the zoomed in a little bit. Again, his, his arm is around holding the, the bundled child. Now, one more. His, it, I don't know if you can really see it, but his hands are like this. Now, you don't hold a baby like that. Or you wouldn't hold a baby like that, unless... It, it, Here's where I think this is significant. It doesn't matter. 
that you've seen something so precious that you can die. You don't even cling to anything, not even the Christ child. And remember when Jesus rose from the dead and he spoke Mary's name in the garden. The next thing he said to her was, Mary, don't cling to me. She grabbed him and he said, Mary, you don't even need to do that. We don't even need to hold on to the human body of Jesus because his salvation can be known and lived out in the life of the world that we don't even need to cling to him. And that, you know, a man who was at his death can, can imagine, and I picture Rembrandt sort of putting himself in the Simeon role and just, I don't need to cling to any of this because God's salvation is so satisfying. So what are you waiting for? What's the consolation that you're looking for? And are you ready to die? True consolation, true comfort is found in Jesus alone. And when we see it, and when we accept it by faith, we are satisfied. And then we are ready to meet our creator and to experience all of the salvation. We can let go of everything else. Before our uh, prayer comes up here to pray for us, I just want to lead us in a prayer. If you bow your heads with me, you could pray something this, like this in your heart. If this resonates with you, you could pray, Lord, I, I desire your comfort. I need consolation. I, I, I want it, Lord. And of all the things I hope for, Lord, I, I know that I need your salvation. And I know that it has come in Jesus. And Lord, I may not understand everything, but I want it. And by faith, I put my trust in you. I turn from all those other things I cling to, and I receive Jesus Christ to be my Lord, be my Savior, to be my salvation. Lord, may I hold everything else with open hands to cling to your goodness and your salvation. May your Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that you give me the good gift of your Holy Spirit, that I might be devoted to you and to your way in this world, Lord. Fill me with your spirit that I might know that you are my father and I am your child and that your love is complete. May I be satisfied in it and nothing else, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.